Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Conor Guerra. Will, it happened. Mm-hmm. 1980 jokes are dead. Georgia is a national champ. I don't know if I ever thought I would say those exact words on this podcast. There was a bit of doubt, but we were all prepared to feel really, really dumb. And instead, we witnessed Georgia finally break through. I'm coming off roughly like four and a half hours of sleep. I probably sound like it, so apologies to that. I believe head hit the pillow at around like 3.10 a.m. local time here in Indy. Well, that game was so interesting that my in-laws, who go to bed at like 9 o'clock and couldn't tell you a thing about either team, were watching that game past the midnight hour. That, oh, they, that tells they, you everything. That yoga class is going to be lit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question because Wes, um, Wes Medeiros already tagged me in this, and I think you're better equipped to handle this. So as a Cubs fan, right? I knew we were going to get into this. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a Georgia fan, what do you do today? You consume every piece of content. By the way, I know a great website, SaturdayDownSouth.com. Great place to be able to consume all things Georgia. Got every angle covered. You consume all content. You're not working. Goodness, what? And if you are, you're just pretending. Um, you're, you might you're be at work, in. but you certainly are not working. You're listening to this podcast pretending that you're working. Mm-hmm. You are trying to buy. I, I'm, I'm a big time, hey, if there's, if there's drought, anything like that, Buy the memorabilia. Georgia fans got five years of life with that. I just laid to rest my Cubs 2016 stuff. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna save it, but I'm just not gonna wear it out all the time because it's kind of like oh, you're celebrating a, a title that was now more than five years old. Mm-hmm. You get, you get a solid five years now. Like oh yeah, that, that's yours. That's in the bank. Buy that memorabilia. I remember my dad after the Cubs won it all, like got everything from Dicks. Got everything. And shout out to Dix, by the way, who called their shot essentially and had the the early championship gear available for Georgia fans before that game was anywhere close to finishing. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully Georgia fans got their hands on some of that. Maybe they got their hands on some of that during the game. I have no idea. You're soaking all of it in because these opportunities as sports fans, you have to appreciate this for the pain that has been. And if you don't, you're going to regret it. So soak in every possible ounce of coverage and look, I, I have watched replays of 2016 World Series so, so many times. And yeah, I closed my eyes during the Rajay Davis home run and I pretend that it <laughs> didn't happen. And, and Georgia fans will probably close their eyes to pretend that the Stetson Bennett fumble, non-fumble, whatever it was, ensuing beer toss that happened like just in front of us in the press box there, that I like, see beer just coming in from the top, from like over the top, like, Maybe pretend that didn't happen. Or you know what? It's part of George's story. And you yep. get to relive that that part as well. It's all yeah, it's all part of the story. Exactly. It's like, yeah, like I remember that with LSU, with like LSU getting down big in that game and me being like, Oh wow, Clemson's been here before. This is this might be bad. And it's like, yeah, like we, we talked about it kind of in the lead up to this game. The best possible story for Georgia would be a hard fought defensive game with Alabama. Where like at the end of the game you're just like Wow, like they took Alabama's best shot and just kept on going. And yeah, like like I said, a game like this is so much more fun for your team to win than a blowout because it's like, yeah, like there are no like you know, Bryce Young was good. You know, there it, not like he was great. He wasn't like an all-time performance, but they 
finally got a redo of you know the SEC championship game. So yeah, I think those those low moments are part of the part of the game plan, and that's why you feel so good because those moments felt so bad. We kept saying if there was a path for Georgia to win a national championship and finally break through, don't you think it would have looked like that? Because mm-hmm. I kind of did. And you could see the championship DVD in your mind. You can picture it. All right, it's, you know, they're going to they're gonna talk about the pain and despair of the SEC championship and, and the adjustments made after that and, and what they were going to need to do in order to make sure that this wasn't another year of Georgia pain. And mm-hmm. up until the Keely Ringo interception, I think there were plenty of Georgia fans who were just waiting on that moment. And all right, how's it going to happen this time? <laughs> and it's it's kind of hard to even picture what it would have looked like in that stadium. Uh, Alabama fans would have been just cackling. I mean, just cackling. Florida fans would have been cackling as well. But what that emotion would have been like had that happened again, because it could have. It, it absolutely could have. And Alabama was up to the task and. Credit to Ty, we're going to get into all the different storylines, including the Alabama angle from this as well. But there there were times in which you kind of wondered, like, hey, is Kirby Smart not going for two in this situation where, yes, you just have this Brock Bowers touchdown to get a seven-point lead. Is Kirby not going for two to make this a nine-point game going to be the thing that does Georgia in? And Bryce Young is going to have this long touchdown drive. It's going to be reminiscent of the Iron Bowl, and then he's going to convert on a two-point conversion, and then we're going to go to overtime. We're going to find a way to lose Like. Georgia fans had to be thinking that, right? Oh, I was thinking that. That exact thing. I was like, oh, no, this is a one-possession game. And you see Bryce Young just get out there, kind of break free and start to sling it, and it's like, this is the kind of game he wants to be in. Oh, no, if they go to overtime, it's going to be him versus Stetson. And then, yeah, I mean, credit to Georgia's defense for the attrition over that game. I'm sure by the time he threw that final pass, it had been a long, grueling game for him, and he made a mistake that he usually doesn't. I was sitting next to, to Mike Renner, our friend in Pro Football Focus, and it was, mm-hmm. I, I had never met him in person actually before, um, but it was great to be able to kind of talk with Mike. And a lot of these, oh, I saw, saw so many people. It was great to be able to chop it up with the likes of Ryan McGee, Danny Cannell, Barrett Lee, all those guys, like just being able to actually be in person with them and not just like have like a little Twitter back and forth or something like that. But it was great to be able to talk with so many of these people. Mike was the one who had to like talk me off the ledge when I'm just like sitting there losing my mind, like why is Kirby not going for two? Mm-hmm. And he explained kind of like, all right, well, you're still forcing Bryce Young to be able to try and make two plays. You don't want any possibility that Alabama can drive down the field and win the game True. with a potential two-point conversion. So it calmed me down. Down a little bit, but I was still thinking as Bamba was starting to drive, like you know, it'd be really nice if Kirby Smart had a two po- had a two possession lead at this point and had with three minutes left in this football game. I get kind of the logic of why he was saying that. Ultimately, though, it didn't matter, and Georgia's defense, as you said, came up with the the key play. Um, so many people are probably just yelling, "Get down, get down!" But Ringo gets <laughs> including into the Kirby, end zone. he was furious. It was the look on his face was so priceless because he was like. Stoked at the same time, horrified. And that was like every Georgia fan. It was like, how can this go wrong? Even this moment, yeah. how can this go wrong? I was I can't remember who was trailing him, but I was like, could, could that guy possibly strip him? Bama recovers. Bama then just just gets to kind of run it back and do the same sort of drive. But that that did not happen. And um, Georgia fans let out an ex, the exhale of all exhales, and they're able to, to win this football game. And Hopefully they have been able to enjoy the moments after finally breaking through and for so many first national championship they get to celebrate in their lifetimes. We have so much to dig into. We're going to get into 
all the different angles. We're going to be a bit all over the place because honestly, that game was pretty bonkers for right. most of the second half. I know there were Darren Ravel folks who were asleep at halftime when it was nine to six, and they're like, "Oh, field goals! This is really stupid." Even though we're watching two teams with defenses that are just so unbelievably loaded with NFL talent mm. that it was just. It was disgusting to see the team speed that both of these teams had and the way that their ground games really struggled to get going. Some of the open field tackling, I mean, second to none. And by the way, if you're one of those people saying that this game was boring, um, you know what would have been boring is watching Michigan be like down 21-3 to at the end of the first half to either of these teams because that's what would have happened. And these oh, yeah. were the best two teams in college football. Maybe Ohio State could have like could have put up some points, but there's no way they would have been able to match the physicality of Georgia or Alabama in that football game. And those were the best two teams in college football. It just took a little bit to be able to get going. And the under still actually hit in that one too. Because it was huh. 52 and a half. I think it was 52 and a half was the, I could be wrong on that. But yeah, because the, the the final the final total was fifty one, so that was the one thing that I was like kind of confident about that, and like a Jaleel Billingsley prop, which milk carton for Jaleel Billingsley, um, weird <laughs> yeah. situation there. Hard to but, hard to the, the the like backup tight end or the, not the backup the tight end had like his moment to shine. Like you would think that like it would be we would learn about the new Devontae Smith in this game, but no, no, that did not happen. Georgia fans, Alabama fans. I know you're listening to this probably hungover, um, so I'll try not to raise my voice. Will that means only church chuckles today? Can we do that? Okay. You know the church. You know the church chuckle, right? That's that's my least annoying of laugh, right? <laughs> <laughs> the church chuckle is the one like ha, like the little bit of like the the. It's just acknowledging that the pastor told a joke. Yes. And you're you're not belly laughing. You're just like at the point where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this this like, happened, and I'm just sitting there in silence. Like, keep it pushing. We got reservations at the meet and three after this. We gotta <laughs> we gotta keep it going, Pastor. Come on. Those pancakes aren't gonna eat themselves. We kept saying it was George's year. You can say that, you can believe that, but until you see that. Those are just words that can be used against you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lord knows, Will, so many would have used that against Georgia had that been the case. And it was never going to be easy. You don't slay the dragon with, with a first-round knockout. It, it, this wasn't going to be 2018 Clemson, where 2018 Clemson just dominates Alabama basically from the second quarter on, and you're like, whoa, what in the world just happened? What did we just watch? Georgia was going to need to put together four quarters against Saban for the first time. And while I wouldn't necessarily say that the offense put together four quarters, that was as close to a complete game as we've seen from Georgia against Bama under Kirby Smart. Georgia got pressure. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest thing that we had to change. That was going to set the table for everything that Georgia wanted to do when it came to not having those defensive backs on an island, when it came to not being able to necessarily fall behind 14 to nothing, and then you got sets in bed and all these obvious throwing situations. If Georgia was going to win, it was going to be finally getting pressure. And it took 82 minutes of football against Bryce Young for that first sack to finally happen. And Channing Tindall came up in such a big spot. And he's been so freaking good at that all year. And I haven't given that guy enough love because he does that all the time. And he was able to sack Bryce Young in the red zone and continue Alabama's frustration in the red zone where it just seemed like they're knocking on the door, they're knocking on the door, and then Georgia holds strong. And they hold him to a field goal. But getting that pressure was huge. And even the last play of the game, Nolan Smith gets gets the big-time sack to be able to close it. 
if they had given Bryce Young all day to throw, <laughs> it would have been same song, new verse. Mm-hmm. I, it really would have been, I think, a lopsided game. And we'll get to the Jameson Williams injury in a bit here, but I just thought that was the thing that Dan Lanning had to fix. And they absolutely did, in my opinion. And you kind of saw the the way that they were bringing extra defenders, the way that they were basically saying like, hey, if you want to dink and dunk with Slade Bolden underneath, that that's probably going to be there. But we're still going to force Bryce Young to be able to make a quick decision. And he had to make so many quick decisions. Like, mm-hmm. I think I don't necessarily even think Bill O'Brien had a bad offensive game plan. Like, I, I know, Will, I know, I know it's easy <laughs> to take shots at Bill O'Brien. I know it's easy. But when you're dealing with pressure like that, mm-hmm. and you see Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, my God, Jalen Carter, shout out to Popka. <laughs> Jalen Carter did some things in that football game where you saw his presence. And this wasn't Georgia's defensive line in the fourth quarter gassed, admittedly not conditioned right for that football game. This was Georgia showing its identity, the identity that we've seen all year with the exception of one afternoon in Atlanta. Right. And that changed so much. How impressed were you with Georgia's ability to at least fluster Bryce Young even though it took them a long time to be able to get that first sack? No, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, man. I mean, Bryce Young had 57 attempts in this game. That is Gosh. classically decision fatigue. That is decision fatigue. That's like one thing that we as millennials hear about in the workplace. It's like, oh, you got to like make all these different decisions. After a while, you just don't care. And it's like, yeah, like Bryce Young is dropping back. There are people in his face. He's having to roll out. And like, again, credit to him for being like one of the most escapable college quarterbacks I've ever seen. The fact that it took them that long to get a sack, when they flashed that graphic, I was blown away. Because it was like, okay, like it feels like they're getting pressure about every other play, but it's not a sack. It might be a hurry because he's spinning outside. But then once you do that, cut your field in half. And like you said, it's like dump off to Slade Bolton, you know, hit hit the tight end, like do all these little dump off things that are what makes Bryce Young special. Obviously, you know, he wasn't making like it wasn't really incompletions. It was just dump offs. But after you know dozens of dump offs, it's like you're gonna make that that bad um, that bad attempt, and that's what happened. Yep. And yeah, I, I think you're right. It's like Georgia's DBs. Like we talked about it, kind of in the the the, the lead up to the show. It's like it was kind of a Jimmy's and Joe's problem for Georgia with the way that their DBs were kind of struggling. They're huge up front. Bryce Young would move them around. And in this game, I mean, those linebackers brought. Speed, man. Yeah. Those guys were unblockable. They were in Bryce Young's face. And there were so many opportunities that you saw Bryce Young kind of start to like, oh, I'm going to make this guy miss. And, you know, it was Dean or it was one of the other linebackers just, nope, wrapping him up, dragging him to the ground. It was like, okay, like, don't have a third plan after the first two go bad, you know? Yeah, and I, I thought Georgia's secondary played well. Like, mm-hmm. Darren Kendrick was putting some tough spots. Obviously, Ringo had the, the pick six at the end. I think it was Ringo who didn't give up. I could be wrong here. But if I think it was Ringo who didn't give up on that play on the Cameron Latu long catch and run where Bryce Young just makes a ridiculously good throw. I mean, that throw yeah. in that window was so perfect. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was Ringo who got beat on that play but then recovered and was able to get to Latu. And instead of a touchdown for Bama, Bama red zone issues. And it, it takes four points off the board. And in a game that felt like it was going to be decided by that for so long, I thought that was such a key response in those moments. And Georgia, that front, took away Bama's ground game. And, and look, mm-hmm. Brian Robinson, man, like, tip of the cap, Brian Robinson. That dude, like, yeah. that one drive where he just tried to put Bama on his back. 
And Bama then didn't even come away with points because they had the blocked field goal. And I was blown away that that dude still had 22 carries left in the tank. I, I truly did not know what he was going to be able to give. And and his his day, his 68 yards, didn't really tell the full story, in my opinion, because he gave everything more. But that Georgia front, like that's what it's been doing all year. Georgia's first team defense, get this, Georgia's first team defense did not allow a run of 20 yards to a running back all year. No way. Think about that. That is how historically good that group was. And if you so if you look at just the rushing totals, you'll see Alabama had 28 rushes for 30 yards. You look at the uh, the the sack adjusted, and it's actually like 73. So not necessarily like as bad of a day as the numbers would have indicated. But look, like Georgia, that that's kind of part of it though. Is Georgia was able to get those sacks, and they were able to to change what Alabama wanted to do, the game script that Alabama wanted to have in the second half. And so many of those times, man, even when Bryce Young makes that throw, escaping pressure, I don't know how in the world he escaped that that pressure for the lone Alabama touchdown of the day where he finds Latu just kind of sitting there at the goal line. Like that that to me was like, that was, that was peak Bryce Young. But I would still say the biggest difference was seeing Georgia get after it and realizing, mm-hmm. all right, we, we can get pressure on Bryce Young. They, they called him the gingerbread man, <laughs> which interesting nickname for a guy who torched you. I wouldn't necessarily be rolling out nicknames for guys like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that the job that they did on him over the course of time, and you're going to look at the numbers and say, all right, he had 369 passing yards. Like, guy was still pretty darn good on a big stage, and considering what he lost... Bryce Young did things that most quarterbacks couldn't. Maybe a little bit reminiscent of like Pat Mahomes in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like where you just kind of see that pressure and what it's like, and you realize that the vast, vast majority of college football quarterbacks would have turtled in those moments. And there are so many guys I can think of that just would have been overwhelmed because we've seen it. We've seen it when Georgia is is at that level and their front is winning that matchup up front. They can just do so many things and they can make very good quarterbacks look i mean relevant even our guy hendon hooker who really struggled in after the you know the first couple drives of that football game um okay i there are there are a lot of other other things within this game and i don't want to make this out to be a bigger deal than it was but what did you think about the stetson bennett fumble the <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Where he's like, he's going back. It was Christian Harris who, who hit him, and it was great pressure. And and Alabama deserves credit for the way that they were able to bring pressure. And Will Anderson, also not a confirmed human being, <laughs> but that play where like we're watching this in real time, and it's happening kind of like closest to us in in our section there of the um, auxiliary press box. And I never had a moment where I thought fumble. I just thought incomplete pass. Mm-hmm. Brian Branch reacted like incomplete pass. That was the most casual, close, by an inch maybe fumble recovery, fumble recovery, I put that in air quotes, that I've ever seen. <laughs> like how, like it was so random that he was that close. When you watch that in real time and on the replay, what did you think was going to be, what did you think should have been the call? Well, first off, man, like, you know me, I'm a New Orleans Saints fan. My history with the refereeing community is long and documented, <laughs> all right? But I'll say this. I have never seen referees so in over their head as they were in this game. Shout out to the, the ACC. To, right, like, you guys already... Anyway, so the ACC rant will be another day. But seriously, like, 
It started off with the Bryce Young incompletion where nobody knew what was going on. Like, the crew didn't know what was going on. Like, the broadcasters. The scoop and score. Yep. Yep, the scoop and score. There you go. It's like, I and you guys, like, the, the guys on the field, I don't know if you heard this, were like a good 30, 45 seconds ahead of the broadcast. So you, I saw you tweeted scoop and score, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. And, like, that happened, and, like, literally nobody reacted appropriately. Like, nobody on the field. Nobody, like, it was just weird, muted scoop and score. And then the same thing happened here where, like, you know, luckily – Bama was smart enough to, or not smart enough, but I hate to call it lucky, but it's like, dude, just grab the ball oh, and walked out of bounds. And like, and, but see, here's the thing. If it had been called correctly, if the correct kind of tenor was put on that moment, he probably easily recovers that. So it's, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if dude knew, okay, this is a fumble. I need to recover this. He probably gets it two steps in, in bounds. So it's just, it's ridiculous that like both of those like game changing moments were so like, we don't really know. We'll figure it out in the booth. And it's like, well, the players on the field also don't know because no one's making, there's no wit. Like, I don't know. Maybe, like, I don't know the ins and outs of refereeing. Maybe I'm overreacting here, but it just felt like everyone was clueless on two of the biggest plays of the game. I don't know. Feels like they lost control. Yeah, I, I on the on the sets in play, I was like, wait, are they are they looking for for grounding or something? Like, what, what are what are they even looking at here? Because mm-hmm. when the ball goes forward in that spot, you just assume, all right, that's a pass. And I saw people, there were some people on Twitter who say like, oh, it was, it was obvious it was a fumble. This shouldn't even be reviewed. It's like, all right, like let's let's <laughs> chill, Alex Kirshner. Like let's let's take it take a beat off. Like okay, we we know we're looking at this because it is that close and because it was such a weird random play with so many different things going on and it was such a pivotal call in that spot because Bama's just struggling, struggling, struggling and to to be able to to finally punch one in and then of course they get the break that they need in that spot and Georgia fans were irate at that call because of exactly what you said, the scoop and score that looked. Um, in real time, I thought it was a fun one. I, I called, I called it out. I, I, I definitely, I, I said to, to to Mike and, and to Trey Wallace, who I sit next to uh, Trey Wallace of Outkick, and I was saying how like, oh, that's that's definitely a fumble. Like, there's there's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Like, Nicobe Dean scoop and score. Like that that was that and maybe for whatever reason, like I just kind of assumed. But then you kind of look at the replay. You're like, all right, I can see why that would go that way. But it was the fact that 50-50 call goes against Georgia. And then another 50-50 call in that spot. Huge, huge calls that I wouldn't want to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in that spot. And that's what kind of led to the buildup. And so then, of course, as soon as there are a couple of beer bottles that come flying in, Tennessee fans. <laughs> they, what's, what's, the, what's the gif? The, the gif of uh, the... Uh, who's the guy who does that? Um, uh, wasn't it, it was the old... Was, it wasn't the press secretary. Who does like the eyebrow raise? You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, where he's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, that that was kind of like peak frustration because you felt like officials were working against you, and in that spot, like I I, I empathize with Georgia fans in that spot mm-hmm. because of how critical that really was and how I, I think really debatable that that call was. But at the same time, even if that had stood, it's like all right. This happened. If if you're Georgia, you can't let that be the thing that defines you mm-hmm. in that football game. You just can't. And Georgia didn't. And I think that deserves so much credit because, look, they could have gotten taken out of that game emotionally. That could have been the type of thing that we look back on and we're like, Georgia could just never quite recover. That was the big momentum-changing play. And instead, you kind of look back and you're like, well... 
Um, how about maybe what was it? I guess the the blocked field goal, and then you know Georgia punches one into what was it like the the, the the touchdown where Georgia punched it in was Zamir White, and how big that play was, and Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis are on the field blocking. Yeah. That's just not even fair. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. But <laughs> they got to do like an elevated weight limit on Lyscoos. <laughs> you can't have two thousand pounds of Lyscoos. You got to take some weight off here, man. Right, that's cheating. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be allowed to be able to, to do that. I, I'm I'm mixing up my, my timeline here because the the Zamir White touchdown run that was that was the first touchdown of the game, and that mm-hmm. happened that happened before then. So I apologies on that. That was that, that was a, a different sequence there. The Latu touchdown happened uh, a bit later. That happened in the in the fourth quarter there. That was that's just kind of like the <laughs> that that that's kind of how that game was though oh, yeah. where these moments that just it felt very back and forth at certain points and like I said though Georgia did not let that define them they did they were determined not to let this be another fourth quarter in which Saban outcoaches Kirby and he makes the proper adjustments Saban came into that game with a 41 to 7 advantage against Kirby in the fourth quarter in those four meetings and of course the one touchdown by um borderline human being Brock Bowers which he ran through six dudes like Brock Bowers like Bama actually did pretty well against him Mm -hmm. Bama actually kind of contained him fitting that he was able to get into the end zone though that guy, I don't know how you cover that guy. He's going to be a nightmare for the next two years. How about that call, though? You know, it's third and one, and, like, everybody in the stadium knows that Georgia's going to do the old, like, ho-hum, halfback yep. dive, and they snuffed that out. Like, that was the best part, is it was like, oh, no, not again. And then you see, like, Stetson whips it out, hits Brock Powers, and he's wide open. It's like, oh, he's got a head of steam. And, like, it just seemed like a moment of, like, we're learning. We're growing. We're adapting, you know? Yeah, and Todd Munkin uh, early on when he's not giving Zamir White the ball, like I looked up at the, I looked up and it was, there was like two or three minutes left in the first half. I'm like, why does Zamir White only have two carries? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought he made some great adjustments down the stretch and put Stetson in some spots in which he had to make big time throws. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody's wondering about. Can Stetson make these big time throws? Can he make championship level throws? I'll tell you what, man, that touchdown pass to Ad Mitchell was a championship level throw unbelievable dime and and catch in that spot and that was kind of in a way it was kind of like the anti-georgia because right. stetson bennett in case in case you haven't heard stetson bennett was a walk-on <laughs> you, yeah, let me be the first to say that stetson bennett walked on georgia but like cole kubelik tweeted this out and i thought this was a great little nugget too about how mitchell was a guy who during covid would send the georgia coaches these videos of him just like catching passes. And he was a three-star recruit and a guy, like he was like borderline three to four-star recruit, but a guy who was like just essentially begging Georgia coaches like, hey, give me give me some love. And he's a, he's a redshirt freshman in this spot that comes up with a catch that, to be honest with you, like Georgia fans had a pretty like delayed reaction to that. They're like, surely he didn't catch that. Right, yeah. <laughs> surely he didn't catch that. There's no way, like this didn't just happen. And mm-hmm. Stetson with a free play with Bama jumping off sides, decided screw it i'm going deep and i saw i think it was big cat who tweeted it out like stetson's only hope in this game to settle down after such a bad start was just being like hey screw it i shouldn't be here i'm in this spot i've got nothing to lose let's just sling it and i've duped you all for this long i've made it this far it's time to just let it ride one of the better uh championship plays in recent memory 
that was. One of the more impactful, monumental, because of course, you know, you're you're looking at a deficit at that point. And Georgia, yeah, Georgia was getting the momentum back and you know, they're putting this drive together and, and Munkin's play calls are great, but they won't forget about that that throw and catch anytime soon. Bama just took over down the stretch and uh, Saban told told Kirby, like, you guys beat our ass in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll say this real quick. Like, th- there's not really another way to say this. Like, I'm, I promise you I'm being respectful, but it's like, you know, if you look at the quarterbacks that have won these championships, right, like Trevor Lawrence, Burrow, and, like, you go through it, like, it's, like, Saban had that quote, and I think Stuart Mandel tweeted this, that it's like, this is now an offensive game. Like, you have to have a dynamic quarterback. You now have to have this stuff. And the fact that Georgia was able to win, not, not like with the quarterback, with that offense shows how much this team loved and trusted one another because there were several moments in this game where it was like, oh, this is going to be the thing that crumbles them. The fumble being one of them. Honestly, the Bryce Young, like, scoop and score being another, where it's like you could see how upset everyone was in the stadium. And it took Georgia, you know, one or two plays to be like, you know what, okay, let's put this behind us. Let's keep it running. And that just takes a whole new level as a defensive team, honestly, to be like, okay, we're going to just lock in. We're going to forget that happened. And like and like, I, I, like you were saying, it's like it feels like there were so many moments in this game that were typical Bama, typical Georgia, until yeah. – that touchdown catch, where it's like, oh, here's Georgia's little moment. Okay, the football guys might be on their side tonight. Yeah, that you you hit the nail on the head there. That felt so like it, it felt a little bit unbelievable at the time, and like it was surely oh they're they're gonna review this and it's not gonna be a catch. It's like oh no, he he just caught that football. Like Stetson dropped that in a bucket mm-hmm. against like what I thought was pretty good coverage, and th- th- he caught that football. By the way, that. Uh, <laughs> The pass interference where Jermaine Burton just gets mugged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that little, like, was, I think it was like a little double move or something like that was one of the plays of the day. <laughs> yep. Really, really smart play because that, Jermaine Burton would have, would he would have had six on that. And it would have been similar to what we saw in, in the Michigan game. But Stetson, four for four in the fourth quarter. He's perfect. Georgia scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, think about that. Like, <laughs> that. <laughs> That was just the exact opposite of every fourth quarter that we've seen for Georgia against Saban in the Kirby Smart era. I mean, mm-hmm. truly, like they they figured things out, and, and Bama fans knew it. Like Marler was was saying, like, look, they're they're leaning on him right now. Like you could tell momentum momentum was changing. Maybe maybe Bama ran out of gas. Maybe Georgia just kind of realized, and Georgia played that sixty minute game that we kind of wondered about. Mm-hmm. We were saying after after Alabama in the SEC championship of like maybe Georgia just isn't built to play a sixty minute football game and they're just always going to struggle in these these close type games and Bama with that so much experience in those close games maybe that's going to win out. We're going to get to the the Kirby legacy stuff. We're going to get to what it meant for Stetson, what it meant for Saban, Jameson Williams, like all, all those different things. But I want to just I want to say this. I kept thinking about. One, Georgia fans, my guys, Candler, Perry, like, <laughs> I hope Perry wasn't too drunk for that game. Um, everybody, even my wife's boss, Will Wellens, who <laughs> went to Georgia and, you know, he, he remembers Herschel, but it's still like, you know, he spent 40 years just waiting for the worst to happen. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I thought about those people throughout this game. I also kept thinking about people like Aaron Murray. 
Aaron Murray, Terrence Edwards, who had the, the drop against Florida in 2002, where there's just nobody near him, and that Florida loss was what prevented Georgia from going to a national championship that year. Chris Conley, of course, 2012 SEC championship, who you know catches the tip pass that he shouldn't have caught and prevented mm-hmm. Georgia from getting that one final play, as we did on Just Memoir. You know, DJ Shockley, a guy who was like close but no cigar as well. He had the pick six in that same Florida game, 2002. Like, I talked with with Aaron before the game on Friday, um, and I was able to to catch up with him afterwards. And um, he was actually in a suite. Uh, with his guy Drew Butler, who he does um, the punt and pass podcast with, mm-hmm. and he was he was basically right there for that initial touchdown, like that was that was in his end. He was like feet away from that, and Aaron afterwards was kind of at a loss for words, and uh, you know he told me beforehand that relief and excitement were the two emotions that he was expecting if Georgia was going to win a national championship. Like credit to Aaron, like like I was doing ten to fifteen interviews a day leading up to this. Because everybody wants to talk to him, of course. And in every single one of those interviews, there was at least one question about the 2012 SEC championship. <laughs> right. Of course. Like, for, for the sake of Aaron and poor Chris Conley, who did what 98% of everyone else would probably do in that spot, by the way, let's move past Georgia's close but no cigar moments. Mm-hmm. Let's move past that. After I talked with Aaron, he actually uh, had me track down... Uh, his guy John Staten, and uh, they had this like pure moment afterwards where they get to hug and they have this embrace, and, and and then John gets a couple of beers, he chugs them, and he throws one in the air that actually got me. Like as it's coming down, I got like my my sweater's got like you know beer all over it, but fitting, you know, part of a championship celebration. That's the only way to do it. And then he just runs off in the tunnel. Like I kept thinking about these Georgia legends who got to take that game in, you know, Dooley and Rick and Rodrigo, they're, they're all there and, mm-hmm. and, and they're soaking this in. And, you know, one of the things that Aaron said he was, um, that he that he did leading up to this game was he talked to Herschel, he talked to Buck Ballou. And um, during the week, none of those guys could still fully grasp that it had been four decades. And they're like, man, with this, with this talent, I just, yeah, curses, whatever, but like, just how does that happen? And if not now, then when? And I think in some ways it's tough for 18 to 22-year-old kids to have the perspective of how many lives they impacted on Monday night with doing what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother-in-law's friend, Beth, who, like, I, I, I might have, I'm sorry, I'm blanking if I said this in the beginning of the podcast, like she's in her mid-50s. She went to Georgia on a cross-country scholarship. She lives in Indy, and she was just on cloud nine all week, like, She's going to be walking on air the rest of the week and maybe the rest of the month, the rest of the year, whatever. I loved what Nolan Smith said a week before the game. He didn't do the cliche like, oh, you know, it's just another game. We got to treat it like that. You know, we can't think about the magnitude of this. He's like, man, I, I cried after the SEC championship. He said, you know, here's this number one overall recruit mm-hmm. who's been told how dominant, how good he is probably from the moment he started playing football. Maybe okay. maybe there's another story in there that I don't fully know about, but like let's be honest here. He's been playing football for 16 years. I'm going to bet the at least 12 of those years he's been told like, "Hey, no one like you're going to be able to do this for a very long time. You're pretty you're good very, at this whole football thing, buddy. You have this figured out. Um, there are things you have that we just can't teach and we think that's going to make you a living one day at this sport. But, you know, he's understanding what this means 
and he grew up in Georgia and his mom was a Georgia fan and like that was his mom's team and he, and he said he wanted to be part of the team who ended the drought and that's why he never wavered when he wasn't starting early in his career and he wasn't doing the, what you would typically expect the number one overall recruit to do and he had to wait behind all these guys he talked about waiting behind Aziz Ojolari and like waiting behind all these great Georgia pass rushers and how difficult that had to be and just waiting for his turn and he kept saying and he's like look I, I've been telling people if we do this we're legends mm -hmm. one day we'll come back here and we'll be able to show our kids what we did and that'll mean more than anything he's right Georgia's 2021 team is in exclusive company. It'll be hard for any of those guys, many of whom have fame and fortune on the way. They're going to make a pretty penny in the NFL. But it's going to be so difficult for those guys to ever top what Monday night brought them and brought so many people. Um, Will, do we have any more thoughts on that before we kind of dig into to the Alabama side and some big picture things with Kirby? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um all those moments that you talked about, right? The drop pass, Aaron Murray, all the different stuff. Like, it's funny how winning colors those differently, right? Like, you know, talked about you as a Cubs fan. It's like the Bartman moment, right? It's like, that was the thing that I'm sure tortured you guys for years. But years. then, you know, you, you win the World Series, you look back at it and it's like, wow, that was funny. Remember that? And it's like, it's crazy how winning, it becomes cathartic. It's like, oh, wow, like we almost got there so many times. And you say that, you know, it's like, it, it's like, like I said, those moments when there's a happy ending, almost seems sweeter. So yeah, I, I think there are so many stories like that. And, and it's so, whenever it's open-ended, whenever it's, oh, these things prevented us from our ultimate goal, those things can get kind of sad. But when it's, you know, those things are all stepping stones, all these different classes at Georgia, going down through the 2000s, the Mark Rick years. Also, how about the Mark Rick comparisons? That The 1980s jokes and the Mark Rick comparisons died Damn. in one night. Because there's nothing you could say. And I love Mark Rick. You know what I'm saying? Did a great job at Georgia. Built them up to the stepping stone before Kirby took them over the top. But there's no comparison between those two coaches. I mean, Kirby's a star, man. And we talked about it. He's young. He has a lot of runway ahead of him. And, you know, and like I said, we talked about it in the, the preamble to this podcast. It's like, this is kind of the beginning of something for him. I don't see how it could be the end simply because of his timeline with Alabama's. But if they keep recruiting at this level, I mean, this could be the moment as a Georgia fan, you look up and you go, oh, everything kind of started going our way, you know, on that one night in 2022. Yeah, that's, uh, let, let's, let's dig into that before we get, dig into kind of the, the Bama side of this. Mm -hmm. Because that all feels like it's on the table. And going into this night, so many people talked about it as such a crossroads moment for Georgia, us included. Kirby entered the night 57-6 and six against all non-Nick Saban teams in the last five years. Mm -hmm. His 0-4 against Saban in that stretch. And if that number had dropped to 0-5, the conversation that we'd be having about Kirby right now would be one of despair. It would be not oh, he lacks the talents, oh, he's never going to be able to have another great defense again. It's, oh, there's just always going to be that one thing. We talked about the Andy Reid comparison, how mm -hmm. that could have been there. As a guy who's just like year after year, he's going to get you to a conference championship, and he's so well-respected in the sport, but it's just not quite going to line up. And then eventually maybe it will. And Kirby got to have that moment. Granted, it took six years and i say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because some of those moments made it feel like it was more than just six years and at the same time we're also reminded 
46. He just won a national championship earlier than any of the active head coaches with a ring. That list is five, excluding mm-hmm. Ed Otron, because he's not active head coach. So that list is five. And you're kind of realizing, wow, there, there is nothing holding Georgia back anymore. There mm-hmm. is no curse. Atlanta is, is now the land in which curses go to die. This is now a program that has everything in front of them. And it doesn't guarantee anything. And trust me, like I, I know we keep bringing up the Cubs thing, and I, I'm not trying to make this all about me, but like 2016, I, I remember thinking like in the days after, like, all right, now, now we could the dynasty. Look, look at these young pieces that we have in place. Professional sports is way different than college sports, so it's not an exact comparison at all. Mm-hmm. But it is a reminder that you need to do, you need to appreciate those moments because there's no guarantee that you will be back. Having said that. I will be surprised if Georgia does not win multiple national championships in the 2020s. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to assume that they become the next Alabama. And that comparison is going to be there. And if Georgia has that comp still available in the middle of the decade, <laughs> that's a good problem to have, man. That is a great problem to have. But you do look at those things and you say, Kirby just compiled this team, this group, that was so special. Why can't he do that again? Why can't he do that when he does have these all these five-star quarterbacks in here and that position is is elevated? He's not going to all of a sudden stop getting talent. We know that in the NIL era, Kirby Smart is positioned. And we heard Nick Saban's comments uh, on championship morning about or I think it was the day before championship more, whatever it was, everything's a blur this week, but talking about how they need re- legislation about, or otherwise, you know, that mm-hmm. this is this thing can get out of control. And for programs like Alabama and Georgia, that's basically a warning shot of saying, look, they can dominate with this. Right. They will dominate with this. And I, I find myself wondering, and I tweeted this out, I got a lot of different reactions from it. Uh, can Georgia be the team of the 2020s? Can they be the team that we look back on and say, man, they were the standard. Everybody was chasing them. They had this thing that so many college football fan bases would kill for. Can they live up to that? How do they handle expectations? How do they handle success? We talked about how Ed Ogeron handled success after 2019. Not great. Not great. My guy Lawrence Butts was texting me that as soon as, <laughs> as soon as Georgia wins it all, Lawrence texts me. He's like, man, now we see how Kirby handles success. I'm like, can't, can't, can't he just enjoy the one title, man? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Georgia fans like you, I, we, we, we turn the page just because that's what we do in this business. And we, we always want to look ahead no matter what. And um, savor every moment of this. But the question now becomes, all right, what's this team capable of? Because... Kirby, whatever demons were there have been lifted. Um, in my opinion, if, if you're go- going past your top two coaches in the sport without listing Kirby Smart, you're doing it out of spite. Mm-hmm. He is now the only active coach in college football who is riding an active streak, that's how I meant to say that, of five consecutive top seven finishes. Mm-hmm. Not even Saban got there because he had the 2019 season. 
Um, and I'm assuming that's the case. I haven't checked the AP rankings to see if Oklahoma didn't make the top seven. I'm assuming Oklahoma didn't make the don't, top seven. Don't think so, yeah. Don't think, and don't think Clemson did either. Yeah, Clemson missed out on that. So you look at all those things. It's there. Man, it's all there. And how long could Kirby be at this level? Because mm-hmm. the difference between Kirby and Saban is that Kirby's getting to this, this college football peak at a sooner place than Saban. I don't think the NFL temptation is going to be there to kind of disrupt his path. I think you look at that situation now and you're just like, whoa. The only thing that can get in Kirby's way is Kirby. Right. Is Kirby, how does he handle success? How does he handle the rigors of the SEC? He's got a favorable division to continue to win, to continue to get to this this place in which Georgia at least has a chance at a national championship. It's there. And now that he doesn't have the Saban hurdle in front of him, by the way, first SEC East team to beat Nick Saban since a certain Stephen Garcia 2010. <laughs> Stephen Garcia, great tweet, by the way, by our guy. He's just chugging the beer, having a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he was trending. JT Daniels was trending um, <laughs> during that game. I think Stephen Garcia quite was. But, yeah, this is this is all possible now. How do you see this playing out for Kirby? Hold on real quick. 57-6, and six, that is that is the number of, of against, not, against, against non-Alabama teams. So Kirby is 57. In the last five years. In the, in the, last, yeah, five years. In the last five years. 57-6 yes. against non-Alabama teams. I don't think there's another active coach other than Nick Saban that's beaten Kirby Smart because it's very easy to get to six. Coach O is two, Gus Malzahn, Will Muschamp, right? Uh, Tom Herman, and Dan Mullen. Gosh. Oh, man. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think another yeah. coach has beaten Kirby Smart. Yeah, because Muschamp. Yep. Gosh. All right, there's got to yeah, that's that's got to be it right there. If if the number is six, those are his last six losses. Because I was like, wait, he got fired. He got fired. He got fired. And I was and the one I couldn't think of was Tom Herman. I was like, no, he's gone too. Uh, yeah, he might be. <laughs> it, it seems like only Nick Saban could beat this guy in the last five years of guys that are around. I mean, there's obviously new and up and coming coaches. We got Brian Kelly. We got you know this machine they're building in Florida. Like, not to discredit any of that, but the guys who are like currently coaching, that's yeah, they're all gone. Unbelievable. So now, yeah, that's that's sitting in front of Kirby, and his legacy is so much different than what it could have been. And you could tell. I mean, guy was enjoying it. And to finally not have to hear about, hey, you're going to end the 1980s jokes. Man, Kirby was, uh, he's talking about, there's going to be some property destroyed in Indianapolis tonight. I, I did a walk of Indianapolis when I was walking back to my car at like 2.30 in the morning. Did not look like the great city of Indianapolis, the great host city of Indianapolis. It was a little bit cold, whatever. It happens. It's winter. But it did not have um, property damage. But, yeah, Kirby... Connor just walking the street to this sweater, prepared to be Indianapolis Batman. Stop the writing and looting <laughs> of the Georgia fans. No, this is my city. You can't do that here, punk. All right, here's the other thing, though. Like, let's, let's say, and this is just a hypothetical, if Kirby doesn't ever win another championship, if... Even if this is his only one, and maybe he is like six, seven years, and it's just kind of like, yeah, maybe he doesn't handle success as well. He's still going to have a place in Georgia lore forever. Mm -hmm. He will. Because this title, it just meant a little more. It it (laughs) just did. There's there's no way around it. So um, any other Kirby thoughts before we do some, um, some Bama stuff here? 
No, I think I think we hit it. You know, like you said, hats off to him. This is an all-time title. I was talking about it off air. Like this is the most root root forable title. I don't really know what the word is, but like this is the happiest I've felt for a team other than my own winning in a long time. So good to him, man. Yeah, and if Kirby if Kirby looks like the idiot for not benching Stetson Bennett, like if Stetson doesn't come out and deliver that moment, you see Stetson's emotion afterwards and 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 what it meant where he's he's breaking down in, into tears and like you kind of caught him kind of looking at the crowd and just being able to to process what he just did like Kirby would have taken it on the chin forever yep. forever the columns that would have come out about that if Georgia loses that game with Stetson Bennett not playing to that championship level that would have like a black cloud that just followed Kirby everywhere he walked that always would have been the big thing and instead that doesn't happen Kirby Kirby's got some guts for sticking with Stetson. I'll say that because we doubted it, and, man, he proved us wrong. All right, Jameson Williams. That injury sucked. Mm-hmm. I hated that. I hated that. I hated that. I hated that because he is so fun to watch. He's been so great in this offense. Bryce Young has developed a connection with him that I did not think was going to be possible. And even on a day in which you figured George is going to do everything in its power to try and stop that guy, he still got his in the first half. And he was magnificent, I thought, in some key spots. But then you see the injury. It impacted Alabama's passing game. It Mm -hmm. did. And I'm not trying to take away from Georgia. Not trying to take away from Georgia. Two things could be true at the same time. Georgia deserved to win that game. Georgia fans weren't going to feel bad about winning that game, even if it was a three to nothing game played in an ice storm. All right, they didn't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. Jameson Williams, big part of what Alabama does. <laughs> when John Mechie's not out there, massive, massive part of what Alabama does. Mm-hmm. That Alabama offense was kind of hanging by a thread. They were, they were at that point where they're like. Look, we can't have that one more injury. We just can't. And especially in for a team that really couldn't build behind its ground game. Brian Robinson gave everything he had, like I said earlier. There was only so much he was going to be able to do. He wasn't going to have one of these Derrick Henry type of games in this moment. And it sucked for Alabama. It absolutely did. Being without him and, and Mechie was like, all right, that's, that's the one thing Bryce Young can't quite overcome. The silver lining, though. Those young guys look pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you know it? Alabama's probably going to be fine at receiver. Crazy, right? Like, right. <laughs> they're going to they're going to figure it out. Uh, I know a, a Jai Hall. He had the brutal drop. Brutal drop. I, I didn't get like a Joe Tess call on the a Jai Hall drop, um, like we did in the spring game when Joe Tess is just freaking out about a Jai <laughs> Hall. Um, anyways, but look, like I I, th- I thought he he responded well, and it was. Really good for him to be able to get those reps after he was just not able to get on the field for so much of the season. And then I, I thought Ja'Cory Brooks also had his moments, even though it wasn't necessarily some big clutch, game-changing catch to really bring Alabama back into it. It it got tougher for Bryce once Jameson went down. Like, mm-hmm. He still made plays. And like I said earlier, that Latu touchdown after the controversial fumble, that was like peak Bryce Young. It was... I, I, like that was that was the type of play where I said coming into the year, like Mac Jones, he manipulates the pocket so so well, and there are going to be moments in which you're reminded that Bryce Young doesn't quite do that, but then you're also going to be reminded that he can make a play like that where he's thrown back across his body and he can escape pressure that like 99% of quarterbacks just cannot do, and they were rewarded in that spot. But 
ultimately it was too much for that Alabama offense to, to overcome. It sucked because, and I don't think that that game deserves an asterisk or anything like that. Bama was a worse team without Jameson Williams. Georgia still deserved to win that football game. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about college football at this level. You know, other than maybe like a Bryce Young injury, or I guess like the Georgia version of that's really like Brock Bowers, or I don't really know who Georgia couldn't get over because they don't really have like one star. But yeah, I mean, I don't really see that as much in college because you just have so many four and five stars, and it's like, hey, like if <laughs> if we're going to celebrate the recruiting rankings every year, we can't go, oh, we need this one guy to be successful, these two guys. So yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately, I think Bryce Young played a great, played a great game. I think that Jamison Williams is... A dynamic athlete. I really wanted him on the Saints, just to be honest. I just kept seeing mocks, and I was getting yeah. excited. And now, let's see how this injury kind of affects that. I'm just sad because I like him as a player. But yeah, I think overall, you're right. It's like, like I said, it would be one thing if it was, um, you know, Bryce Young or like you know, Colt McCoy type of situation where it's like, what, what would this game have been? But it's like, Bryce Young was still, I think, good enough. And yeah, some receivers had some issues, but you know, that's, that's why, you know, receiver development and coaching is important is that you have lots of weapons especially in a wide open offense when you get like we're talking about 57 pass attempts it's just like the guy's got to make plays so yeah I think overall it was well deserved and they were still driving down the field with a chance to at least tie it so yeah I, I would like to you know credit Alabama and their secondary receivers for stepping up when they went down I kept saying if Bama wins this game after that injury <laughs> like I, I get it, they got they got the five stars, they got all those different things. But like, if they win the game after that injury, knowing that they were without Mechie, without Josh Job, like, where 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 is this rank in terms of the Saban pantheon? Because I, I get it, we've run out of words to 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 really kind of chalk up his greatness to like we we have stopped necessarily heaping praise on Saban and the coaching jobs that he does. But mm-hmm. I mean. He still deserves it. Like I know he's playing his ninth national championship in 13 years, but if he had beat this Georgia team again in the regular for the second time this year, mm-hmm. we were going to be talking about one of the more improbable runs of the 21st century. And I know nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to say that. But just against that defense, mm-hmm. against that group, which has been so good against everybody else. Like, Alabama's offense really didn't have a whole lot of business lighting that group up, and they didn't. And credit Georgia's defense for being able to figure those things out. But this should have been a gap year for Bama. Yep. (laughs) You look at the returning production, like, I think they were bottom 10 in the country, that stat that Bill Connolly always puts together that I reference so much. And instead, we're just kind of reminded that gap years don't exist at Alabama. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing. And... Alabama, we, don't we reload here in Alabama. I get so much growing up. I know, and like it's now it's said too much, and it's said for programs that really do need to kind of reload and like I, I or really do need to rebuild. And I, I kind of do think that Alabama had to had to rebuild its offense and figure out what it was going to look like without Sark, without Devonte Smith, without Jalen Waddle, and kind of you know without you know we talked about the offensive line, the makeshift offensive line that was for so much of the year, and they they did kind of actually have to rebuild at certain points of the year and you know Billingsley's not on the field the way that you expected him to and you know what what's what's it going to look like if we don't establish a deep threat and they had to go on into the transfer portal and get Jameson Williams after the spring like all these different things like Bama did kind of have to rebuild in a very Bama-like way but you know Bama gets the loss in this game but it also gets the perfect script to enter 2022 as the overwhelming favorite to win it all. Mm-hmm overwhelming i mean you're gonna get a motivated will anderson and bryce young not that those guys wouldn't have been motivated after winning a national championship but you get 
the all all the the off season like hey you know this is how close you came and instead you get two guys who have experienced winning a national championship and know what it's like but now get something to work towards and that's a scary thought for the rest of the college football fan for, for, for college football fans everywhere. And again, those young wide receivers getting meaningful reps, I think that's significant. You sort of, you sort of like figured things out on your offensive line, even mm-hmm. though Georgia was able to get some pressure late in this one. But you got those guys playing on that stage and playing in a variety of games. And I, I think that, that Saban pushed all the right buttons to be able to maximize this team's potential, even if we question how much upside Alabama had at certain points. And it's not the popular thing to do to give them credit for stuff like that hmm. because we just look at the talent, we look at the track record, and we assume it's so easy, but it's not. And this year kind of reminded us that it's not always that easy. But for Saban, it's kind of the best way a losing effort could have gone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I Like, he, he's he's not going to have to light the fire. I mean, that that's going to be there. Because if Alabama is not your way-too-early number one for 2022 – you're doing it wrong. I told you, Connor, it's Texas A&M. <laughs> no one can stop preseason Texas A&M. No, I, you're right. No, you're in like, again, like I will give Saban more credit for this coaching job. And like, I, I'm very pro Saban, obviously. Like I, I joke about it, but like he's done something that will never be done ever again. I feel like in the modern era, for sure. It's like, you could look back at guys like Wooden, but it's like, yeah, you guys had to win like three games to win a championship. And it was like the fifties and sixties. Like, it's just not the same, like with recruiting and the way he's figured out. Spread offenses, the NIL, like every little different change that has kept a whole slew of coaches back. He has just barreled through. And like you said, you know, losing Steve Sarkeesian, who was a dynamic offensive mind, replacing him with Bill O'Brien, who everybody kind of joked about at the time, went on to win a Heisman uh, with Bryce Young. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we were, it's one of those like fast forward things. It's like at the beginning of the year, we, like me and you, were excited to see an Alabama team that was going to not be this, you know, loaded team that was going to run everybody over like they were in 2020. They were going to kind of struggle. And we saw that, you know, they took their lumps here and there, but they were able to really come through in the clutch over and over again. It's Auburn, LSU, and these close games uh and then you know they blow out georgia and that's why i said in the lead up to this like take out the georgia game the sec championship game this is like one of the worst teams that saban has had and you have to look at that and give saban credit because the fact that he was able to make people think oh wow they're going to beat georgia a second time when they just as we were talking about didn't really have the horses like um you know they they didn't have like and, and I know this is like kind of counter to what I just said, but you look at kind of the receiver groups that they had in the past where there's like first round guy after first round guy after. It's like, no, like they had Will Anderson on defense, Bryce Young on offense, and some other good like players, like not, not you know, dumping on those guys, but those guys were like 100 out of 100 players. And the drop off between that and like the next guys who were like very good, Alabama usually has these just horses that they keep coming at you. And it felt like this Bama team, like, you just couldn't kill them no matter what you did. It was like the Hydra where you had to like burn the heads. It was like, like okay, like they're going to now lose to Auburn. Nope, like 99-yard touchdown drive. Oh, they're now going to lose to LSU. It's like, nope, they're going to stop uh, Max Johnson four times. It's like, yeah, like I, I don't know. Like I said, this is the, to me, the most impressive coaching job Saban has had because we talked about the 2010 team. That was this loaded team with Julio and Mark Ingram and, and um, you know, all these guys coming back. And it's like, yeah, like that team struggled. And this team... T- way overperformed, I think, reasonable expectations for them. The wrong way to look at this would be to say this is a passing of the torch moment. Oh, no. 
Because I don't think uh, I, I think they're kind of sharing the torch, Kirby <laughs> yeah. and Saban. I don't really think that's the case. I, I didn't like it when people kept talking about Saban's passing the torch to Dabo, which is again that's proven to be not true. It's just like, hey, these guys are are heavyweight fighters, and this guy's going to win one round, and this guy's going to win the other round. And we could see a similar similar path for Saban and Kirby moving forward. And if you think that Saban is all of a sudden like on on the decline, like in my opinion, that's that's being a little bit that's being a little bit too caught up in the moment. Having said that, what is the percentage that you would give to this possibility? Next year, Saban with this team of guys that he he loves and like man, you see the post game reaction that he has to, to Bryce Young and Will Anderson and and making sure that those guys nobody writes off those guys or defines them based on one game, which <laughs> trust me, we're not. <laughs> like yeah. we, we have suddenly they're not. gonna stop blocking Will Anderson. <laughs> suddenly yeah. he's a fraud. No, that guy's so good, man. Yeah, suddenly teams are only gonna put two guys on Will Anderson. Like, come <laughs> on, let's let's be real here. I think there is at least a ten percent chance in which Nick Saban could after going through this and maybe winning a national championship next year could then ride off into the sunset. A 10% chance. I know I make the joke all the time of Saban's going to coach until the robots get here. Mm-hmm. We know that. He is the robots. He is the robots. <laughs> he calls the robots cutter. <laughs> That's why we're only at 10% and not at 90%. All right. How much do you think that's even on the table? It's way too early to say that. We're just having, you know, we're talking about a hypothetical here. And if that's the case, then we're talking about Georgia in a very, very different light, what Kirby could potentially be capable of in the 2020s. But is there at least a chance that something like that, could you see that scenario playing out at all? Um, well, I think if even one person suggests that, he's going to come back after that just to make Great them point. wrong. Good point. Like, you listen, everybody be cool next year. Nobody suggests that. There's a small chance he could shock everyone. If, like, in the post game, like, Wolken or somebody is like, so you think he might retire now? He's like, nope, 10-year extension. I'm coming back. Didn't get to see Wolken yesterday. Did not get to see him. I don't know if he was there. Was there tennis on? I don't know. Um, let's, not enough uh, social let's, distancing, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, who knows. Um, let's let's do the thing that we love to do on, this, on these championship podcasts um, and what everybody now loves to do as we turn the page to 2022. Mm-hmm. Way too early top 10 oh, let's for go. 2022. Let's do it. I've got Bama at one. I've got Ohio State at two. Georgia at three. Clemson at four. Hmm. Utah. We got the Utes at five. A tale of two, a tale of two Utes. I, I don't know what that was, but I'll, I'll just allow... My th- cousin yeah, Vinny, sure. man. Come on. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, my bad. My bad. I haven't. I've. I've watched like half of. I watched like half of my cousin Vinny about three months ago, and I did not finish the rest of it. And I've been meaning to get back to it. I know. I, I have derailed you once again, Connor. <laughs> Go back to the rankings. My bad. You know I'm a Joe Pesci stan. You know right. I'm a Joe Pesci stan. I will get around to it. All right. Yes. Five Utah, six Baylor, seven Notre Dame, eight Michigan, nine Oklahoma. 10 Texas A&M, and I'm a little bit reluctant with the Aggies. Um, Number I'll two to- at worst, preseason Aggies. <laughs> Somebody, I think it was Brett McMurphy, had him at like four or five or something. And I'm like, oh, that's maybe 
maybe it was Joel Klatt. One of them was like very, very high. Like Aggies are getting a whole lot of 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 a preseason way too early love here. I'll, I'll get to that in a second here. But Joe Klatt's preseason top 10 is Alabama number one, the entire Big Ten, two through like 15 and then eight. I don't think, um, don't think Rutgers is quite going to get <laughs> that type of love. But you never know. I mean, Shiano's building a, something pretty, pretty special in Piscataway. So much of this can change with the transfer portal, and I expect it will. Remember, at this time last year, Jameson Williams, still a Buckeye. Mm-hmm. I feel really good about one through three. Bama, Ohio State, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Those three, in their own category, kind of no questions asked. That's based on knowing how these teams looked, knowing that they'll all return multiple All-American caliber offensive skill players, and all of them should have a familiar face starting at quarterback to help build around some new face to help build with some new faces around them. Stetson Bennett coming back for Georgia. Like, please, I need year I eight. Mean, Stetson Bennett. It's on the table. Just saying. Maybe JT enters the transfer portal. Who knows how that plays out? But you would expect that Georgia is going to have some sort of familiar face at quarterback. Maybe they'll bring back Jake Fromm. I hear he's still got another year of eligibility left. Um, but after one through three, it's a total crapshoot. And if you've read any of these way too early rankings, you have seen that play out. Yes, it was Brett McMurphy. That, I'm just remembering. It was Brett McMurphy who had AM at four. And I like Brett. I think he does great work. So I'm not trying to take a, a shot at him necessarily. Um, I think that's too high because holy cow, AM loses so much on defense. And I am not convinced at all that DJ Durkin is somehow an upgrade over Mike Elko. Oh, man. We didn't even get to that. It has been a week. They, yeah. Anyway. I, well, DJ Durkin goes from coaching one of the worst defenses in the country one year to then having a defense that really improved a lot to all of a sudden getting um, one of the most coveted defensive coordinator positions in the country, given the money, given the autonomy on that side of the ball. Um Hey, do what you got to do, man. Get that bag. Um, but I, I'm pretty baffled to see an 8-4 and four team get that kind of love. And I know part of it is because the recruiting class is historic. and I, Jimbo deserves credit for that. It's the best recruiting class. $30 million can buy, whatever, the whole thing. But even the best recruiting classes don't totally elevate a program in their true freshman seasons. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's great to hear Walter Nolan talking about, hey, yeah, we're not finishing top five, top ten. It's been a major disappointment next year. You can say all those things. You're still in the SEC West, and we've kind of seen that, like, yeah, push comes to shove. Like, it can be really, really difficult. And I don't, I'm not even doing the thing where I forecast, like, win-loss or, or all that, but just in terms of the talent, the guys that they have to replace on defense, with the exception of my guy, Antonio Johnson, who got a whole lot of love from PFF, and I think he's going to be a stud, and I'm going to talk about him so much this offseason. But with the ex- exception of him, like, there are some major, major dudes to replace on that AM defense. We know that they're going to have a very competitive quarterback battle. We know that Isaiah Spiller is gone. We know that Jalen Watermeyer is gone. They should be really good on the offensive line, but they're still losing their best player on the offensive line as well. So it's like, I, I just kind of look at that and I'm like, are we just doing this because one through three is so obvious and then we're just defaulting to recruiting rankings and, and resources? Um, Will, I know you've got thoughts on, on A&M getting a lot of that way to really love. We talked about this last week, and you know now that Georgia has won, the winner is Georgia. The loser is not Alabama, but Florida and Texas A&M. 
because yeah. it's because now obviously Florida like no more nineteen eighty jokes. Now everyone's looking at A and M like, wait, what was the last time? You won the national title. Hold on, uh, look that one up. Anyway, so point being, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, I think you're right, right on the money. It's like Utah is like one of those teams where it's like you got to put them there off for respect. I'm fascinated by Clemson. I kind of, it would be easy to believe for me that Clemson's days of being one of these upper echelon teams are over. But again, you can't just pull the rug out from under them and be like, oh, you guys suck now. You had one bad year. So yeah, I think that um, next year is going to be a super interesting year. We had a surprisingly top-heavy college football season this year, which means that there were two great teams at the top, right? And everybody else was, I mean, it was a great season. It was like one of my favorite seasons ever for that reason that everybody, I mean, Utah and Ohio State was this shootout. And of course, immediately Ohio State fans turned around like, see, we should have been in. It's like, buddy, you gave up like 45 points to Utah. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not what this means. So like, yeah, like I, I don't know. I personally, I was thinking about this. I could be stupid. Ohio State hasn't played Georgia like in this modern era, have they? Uh, no, they have not. They have not played Ohio State in the college football playoff era. Just like period, bowl game. Like, yeah, I just like, that's too, like, I would put Georgia number two over Ohio State, but like, I was about to be like, I feel like there should be some precedent for this. I just see those two teams haven't played. I don't know. I, I feel like this year, the run defense was so suspect that like Georgia would have ran all over them, but who really knows? So yeah, I, I personally, at this point, now that they've gotten over the hump, I would put Georgia number two. But yeah, I do think there's kind of that tier one. And then the, 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 Beginning of tier two is, I think, what's going to get interesting because you got to think that like Ohio State doesn't falter again. Hopefully, they're there. Not hopefully, logically, <laughs> no one hopes for that. Logically, they'll be there at the end of the year. They'll they'll get that love because when you have the household names, it's skill player positions. C.J. Stroud coming back, Jackson mm-hmm. Smith and Jigba. You you've got Travion Henderson coming back. Like you would think from a defensive standpoint, their defensive line will be better after they really just kind of couldn't quite figure it out this year so like you would look at those things and you'd say oh marvin harrison jr as well like ohio state's going to be just fine even though it's losing chris olave and garrett wilson mm-hmm. but th- that's why they're probably going to get that love and we assume that georgia is going to have a whole lot of dudes cashing in mm-hmm. and going to the nfl and i don't blame a single one of them because they showed out and some of those guys played so well in big spots and they will not necessarily use all of their college eligibility so that's it's kind of baked in now if all of a sudden we hear all these Georgia, all these Georgia players announced that they're coming back. They're like, we want to repeat. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> that would certainly change things. But I, I'm kind of, I kind of have that baked in. So why one through three is so set and then why everything else is a little bit all over the place. Think about this. Look at all of these jobs that had coaching changes. Mm-hmm. LSU, Oklahoma, Oregon, Florida, Notre Dame, USC, Miami. Those teams on an annual basis, like recent memory, they're like all in that five to ten range to start. I don't off. know about Miami. <laughs> Miami was preseason. Miami was getting preseason top ten love this coming year? into this year. Well, coming into this year, they messed up. Exactly. It's so like Miami's. Miami's a little bit more fringe, but we've seen kind of peak Miami. It, it, I'm not saying this is where they finish. I'm saying yeah. that's the preseason love. That's that's the story. Same with USC. USC right. is like yeah. that on an annual basis. So that's why some of these preseason rankings are really going to be all over the place. And some of this movement with the transfer portal and stuff like that is absolutely going to impact that. And we could see a transfer here, a transfer there, all of a sudden make a huge impact on something like that. If like, if like, oh, Jackson Dart commits to your school, all of a sudden it's like, do you all of a sudden go from being like, yeah, you're maybe 12, 13 in these preseason rankings and, and now you're five or six. That type of stuff I think is going to happen. 
I've gave Clemson the benefit of the doubt in that four spot, even though Dabo mm-hmm. is basically sitting there like Will Smith at the end of Fresh Prince, and he's looking around, and it's just empty. And he's like, <laughs> I got a new DC, I got a new OC, I got a new AD. Like, this is, this is going to be difficult. But when a young, talented group trends well down the stretch, we're supposed to just assume that they'll dominate the next year, and Clemson gets the benefit of the doubt with that going into the offseason. So I'm kind of defaulting to that, even though I'm like, well, DJ was not good and they're going to lose a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball there's just no guarantee that they're going to be able to replace all of those key pieces especially on that defensive line um, oh, but quick. i gave clemson the benefit out there another big winner oregon <laughs> imagine you're sitting there as an oregon fan watching that national championship and you're like wow we have our guy who's about to hit the recruiting trail you can tell people you know i stopped bryce young you know what i'm saying like not that they stopped him but like that's the brand you know what i'm saying it's like he engineered this amazing defense. I know they do co-DCs with Glenn Schumann. Like, I get it. Like, but it's not a one-man operation. I get it. But from a clout perspective, as a as an Oregon fan, you got to be giddy right now because Alabama is the team that you aspire to be, and that defense really showed out. Yeah, Dan Lanning, man. Whew. He was he was enjoying he was enjoying himself mm-hmm. in his last moments. Probably the last time he'll he'll wear Georgia gear. I don't know how that works with the championship parade. Does he get to go to that too? Like, I would. does he get to take all of that in? I, I would. I would hope so. Dan Lanning was having himself a good time on the field uh, post game, being able to to soak in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I am buying all of. Speaking of of the Pac-12, I, I'm buying all the Utah stock, mm-hmm. and I'm buying all the Baylor stock as well. I know that's not Pac-12, yeah. um, which I, I know. A lot of people come to this podcast so they can hear takes about Utah and Baylor, of course, naturally. Of course. Saturday um, Out West, U- they call us. Saturday, that's our that's our new website. Thank you, Will, for the shameless plug. Saturday Out West is the new new Pac-12 site that we we have started at, at Saturday Football. We have Saturday Road as well. That's our ACC site. A little shameless plug for both of them. We're expanding by the day. That's just what we're doing at Saturday Football. Um, okay, so Utah at five. I... I might just make the Utes my my Cincinnati of 2022, and say, um, <laughs> and I can say that because the group of five had a playoff team more recently than the Pac-12, so Utah getting into the playoff <laughs> would be kind of similar underdog type vibes. A lot of people are going to look at Utah and say that they're a bit of fool's gold, probably like God. Uh, maybe they're going to get so trendy that they're going to be a little bit like what Iowa State was coming into this year, where. That, that was just everybody's sleeper, and it got to the point where we're like, ah, maybe we're hyping up Iowa State a little bit too much. But mm-hmm. I think Kyle Whittingham's floor is so much higher than that Iowa State floor. Utah was a different team once Cameron Rising took over uh, as a starting quarterback. And if he hadn't got hurt in the Rose Bowl and if Utah won that game, I know that's a big if. I think Utah, that hype train would be rolling even faster. Utah also gets the stud tailback, Tavion Thomas back, one of the best tight ends in the country. They lose Devin Lloyd, their stud linebacker, but they return so many other guys in defense. So I am very, very high on Utah, very high on Baylor. We gave Dave Aranda his flowers mm-hmm. coming off the Sugar Bowl victory against Ole Miss. Baylor's just going to bully teams in the in the trenches. They got their top offense, their two top offensive linemen coming back. Your boy Ika, SoundCloud legend. SoundCloud legend, bro. Pretty sure he's coming back. Mm-hmm. He's just going to, I mean, that guy's just going to destroy people. Baylor didn't even have the QB situation figured out, and it didn't really matter. <laughs> They're going to miss Jalen Petrie, who was, um, I, I said before, he was like what Grant Delpit was for LSU in Dave Aranda's defense. 
So that, that's going to be a tough thing to replace. But Aranda's floor is just so high on the defensive side of the ball. I think Baylor has a really, really good shot to win the Big 12 again with mm-hmm. Oklahoma going through a transition year. Nobody is holding their breath on Texas, and Oklahoma State loses a lot of pieces outside of Spencer Sanders. So I think that is a possibility. Any thoughts on those two teams before I have a brief thought on Arkansas? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just waiting for the moment that, like, you know, people are going to keep making passes at Dave Aranda to get him out of Baylor, and the thing that he needs to do is just leverage all that and be like, all right, boom, I'm bringing in, like, I don't know if that, I don't know what the situation with Kendall Browse is up there in the Big 12, but someone like that, where it's like, all right, like, I'm going to bring in this offensive mind that's just going to run that side of the ball, have my own, like, levy situation at Oklahoma, where it's just like, I'm going to handle defense, you handle offense, and if they do that, like, that's a, I feel like it's almost, like, Maybe recruiting-wise, they're not a contender, but I feel like they could be in the Big 12 title game. But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, college football seems wide open. It really does, other than the teams that keep winning, Alabama, Georgia. Now we can say Georgia keeps winning. Look at this. This is a great day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, other than the teams, the couple at the top, seems like Clemson's an improved year. But the top three, pretty much the same. But everybody else, it feels like it's this big land grab with all these coaching changes. Like you said, I mean, I'm excited as an LSU fan. Got a lot of very fun head coaches. Or, um, positional coaches coming in it's like hiring season we're getting to see all these graphics tweeted out so this has been like probably the most fun i've had in like a well 2019 aside the most fun i've had in a college football season objectively like as an objective fan not an lsu fan from beginning to end with all the bonkers like storylines and one would think you know you still got a lot of guys with next year eligibility like this next season is going to be just as wild i'm so excited one of the teams getting some way too early love and uh joel klatt had this team in his top 10, Arkansas. Mm. I did not have Arkansas in my top 10, and here's why. I love KJ, Bumper Pool, Jalen Catalan, all those guys are back, and that's great. The Bumper Pool announcement was massive mm-hmm. for that group. Barry Odom has got to be fired up to be able to get that guy back for another year, especially when you lose Hayden Henry, you lose Grant Morgan. But I, I, I always... It's, it's not necessarily like, oh, hey, I'm worried about like the ground game, which is what they built their identity on this year. I always assume they're going to have a back or two who's going to dominate. I'm never going to sweat a Sam Pittman coached offensive line. Just never going to be a thing I'm really going to worry about. Mm-hmm. But it's what we've talked about. We still got to see the pass catchers not named Traylon Burks look good in this offense. Janet Hazelwood, the former five-star who transferred from Oklahoma, he's not a plug-and-play guy for Traylon Burks. But he's, he's a good player. He's not a great one. We still need to see it before we go all in with any sort of comps like that. We still need to see what the defense looks like without a bunch of 23-year-old dudes running around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had grown men running around. And in addition to Grant Morgan, Hayden Henry, Trey Williams, who's also gone, he's going to be a tough guy to replace. He was so often their, their key pass rusher for that group. So I, I know a lot of people are, are going to be giving the Hogs their love, and it's it's linear, and they're on this rise, and it's going to happen in year three. I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to be worse or it's going to be a significant step back, but maybe pump the brakes on the hype train just a little bit, just a little bit here. So not quite as high on Arkansas. If Wandell had returned for Kentucky, I think I would have had Kentucky in my top 10. Hmm. He didn't. He didn't, and I don't necessarily blame him. He is a Kentucky legend through and through. C-Rod is coming back, though. DeAndre Square is coming back. They're, they're getting Jacquez Jones coming back. They're, they're getting some, some nice key pieces. They're gonna, they, have a, they have a lot to be able to replace. Will Levis has to improve, of course, but Kentucky is, I think, going to start off in the top 25. Probably still a few announcements that could impact that overall decision, but so fired up to see that C-Rod is coming back. 
I'm just going to pencil him in for first team All SEC right now. Just Let's get it. Put it. Put it right in there. He's going to be. He's going to break all of Benny Snell's records next year as well. Um, and like you said, I, with Florida and LSU, I don't think they deserve to start in the top twenty-five. I maybe I'll eat my words, and maybe they'll have some big-time transfers or something like that, and that's going to change my mind. But six-win seasons, you have that much turnover. We have so many questions about you. I, I'm not ruling out the idea that they'll be in the top twenty-five to start off the year. I just would prefer to take more of a wait and see approach after it just looked like a mass exodus down the stretch there and it was so ugly. Are you expecting to be to see LSU in the top 25 to start the year? Connor, I feel like I'm on the bachelor in the Zoom call right now. It's like, well, hate to tell you, man, you had a lot of problems. You are not in the top 25. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree with both of those teams. What have they done to, to prove this to you? We don't know. I mean, Anthony Richardson seems like he's the guy for Florida. Miles Brennan seems like he's the guy for LSU. What have those guys really done for you? Not a ton. So, yeah, it's great to, like, have a, a little bit of stability. At the same time, you know, we're coming off of just disastrous years for both programs. So there's a, there's going to be a lot of... Um, a lot of culture changing going on in both. Yeah. They're, they're both in very similar situations and why they were so neck and neck about this coaching search. So yeah, I think, uh, I think that both will get it. You know, they'll probably both be in the top 25 at some point, but I think you got to have expectations for both teams, especially like it seems to me, I don't know, but it seems to me like Florida is a little bit more of a long build because of Mullen not caring about recruiting, whereas that's all Coach O cared about. So it's yeah. like if you get correct coaches in there and not idiots like LSU had, like they might be able to like get some guys going. Whereas like Florida, it's like they're going to need, and they've been overhauling their recruiting staffs. They've been adding so many people building facilities, but that's, you know, it's not a uh, plug-and-play thing. It's going to take a couple years to get that machine going. So, yeah, I think those are among the most fascinating teams in the SEC, for sure. Tennessee's going to start off in the top 25. Oh, yeah, got to. Uh, dude, talking about that, uh, returning guys stat, Tennessee had to be bottom five, if not bottom, like, one. Which they I were high- down there. Yeah, like, and I remember there was, like, a transfers graphic that had them, like, leading the, it was, like, them in Nebraska going back and forth for guys leaving. Suddenly, Nebraska is, like, this oasis everybody wants to go to now. But, uh, yeah, like, point being, like, Tennessee, what they did, they had every excuse to have, like, a 3-1 season last year, and it wouldn't have changed our opinion of anyone, just to be honest with you. But the fact that they finished in a bowl game that, like, they kind of got jobbed out of, like, just to be honest, like, they were that close to really having a phenomenal year and one of the best Tennessee seasons we've seen in a while. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sky's the limit for them, really. Yeah, so Tennessee, Kentucky, Arkansas, A&M, Georgia, Alabama, all those teams in the top 25 to start off the year, I'm probably forgetting at least one. I don't know. Florida, LSU Auburn. is going to be the borderlines. <laughs> not Auburn. <laughs> uh, probably not Auburn. Me, um, Ole, Miss, Ole Miss could start off in the top 25. We'll wait and kind of see uh, how the quarterback situation shakes out that probably will impact part of that but now oh, yeah. you're also you're also losing dj durkin and and how that's oh no not dj durkin <laughs> i've said some bad things about dj durkin in he's the past, a bad dude I, good I, this year I'll, I'll just from an on the field perspective he absolutely improved that defense so we'll wait and kind of see how that plays out um with old mess can i say one more thing to close out here and I hope that Georgia fans are are enjoying this. It, it was it was truly special to be able to see this team in person three different times. And much like I talked about the 2019 LSU season and how cool it was to to be able to kind of take in some of those games and to see to see greatness unfold and to see something that so many people will will cherish forever. 
for the rest of their lives. And so many people, like I, I'm walking through the, the stadium and I'm, I'm seeing Georgia fans, like some of them just crying, hysterical, and just so overcome with, with emotion. These, these are the reasons why you become a sports fan. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought that was so cool to be able to see that. I'm so grateful that I was able to get that opportunity. I had a great time in Indianapolis here and um, really enjoyed my, my experience. That was the first national championship I've ever been able to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it was grateful to be able to, to do that here. So awesome, awesome season. Oh, yeah, one last, last thing. We told you Gene Chizik, defensive coordinator, UNC. And don't you know it, our man, Eugene, Eugene, he is, he is the new DC at UNC. I'm, I'm, I'm so fired up for Chiz. I, I, I think he is one of the most genuine people I've met in this business. And like we, we talked a lot about. And I always would kind of bring it up at the end of podcasts when, when we'd have him on here. Who knows how, how that'll work? Being able to kind of get him on now that he's got you know Power Five SID to have to kind of work through and stuff like that. Hopefully we'll be able to get him on. But I would always kind of ask him at the end, like, all right, you know, what's what's the opportunity for him? When we suggested that a few months ago, I was like, hey, you know, reunite with Mac Brown, go back to a place where you really liked Chapel Hill, and kind of you know, see what this last chapter of coaching has in store for you. And don't you know it? That's where he ends up. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of crazy to see the way that that played out. And um, it was fun to be able to exchange some texts with him and, and wish him well. I'm definitely going to have to get up to Chapel Hill for a game or something like that to be able to, to, to stop in and see him. But just so, so happy for Chiswick. So if I could say one last thing to close out, it was just been kind of a crazy uh, week plus. I wanted to make sure that that he got his love. I think that'll do it. I think that'll do it. Put a bow on 2021. Pod schedule is going to be a little bit, oh, we're going to be a little bit all over the place moving forward. We're going to, next podcast that we record will be next Monday. Next Monday. It's been a wild few weeks here, so we're going to come back fresh. We're going to be able to maybe uh, do some things to kind of recap 2021, and we'll again look ahead to some 2022 things, I'm sure. By the time that we next talk, a million things will have happened and we'll have so many different things to be able to to break down. But this was fun. Are you going to go into a like a hibernation fun. now and just emerge at like 9.55 on Monday with like a cream cheese bagel or like a black coffee and just be like, okay, I'm ready to go. I wish. I wish. <laughs> People ask all the time, like, all right, so when the national championship ends, does that mean like, oh, you're just like done work? It's like, nah, man, this is, this is 3.65. We... We, we, we keep going. Yeah, we'll, we'll take we'll take vacation in, in May and June, and things will slow down a little bit here, but there's going to be so much going on, and we're going to continue to have so much great coverage on SaturdayDownSouth.com. I know I say it all the time, but um, our, our team just continues to crush it. Thank you to, to everybody who has followed along this season and who has listened to this podcast. We're going to keep having great stuff for you. This is by no means the end. This has just been, uh, it's been rewarding to be able to kind of do this podcast and do it kind of with a new format and try something different and hope everybody's been able to, to enjoy that when we've hopefully provided people with some entertainment. So um, yeah, thank you to, to everybody. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, little little gift for us at the end of the year. If you want to do that, certainly would be appreciated. Hold Subscribe. On, let, me, let me say real quick. Let me see real quick. Yeah, same, same goes for me, man. Really appreciate you guys kind of like embracing me. This is never really something I you know, thought I'd be doing just kind of like, you know, um, I guess being an on-air producer for this podcast. It's been super fun. Appreciate, like I said, the way that you guys have embraced me, been tagging me on Twitter, like 
follow along with the jokes we've been making and stuff. This has really been a dream season. It really has. And like I said, in the year that LSU was 6-7, and seven, I had the worst bull loss I've ever seen. <laughs> this is the most fun I've had outside of like that ridiculous you know, dream season. And, and, and like seriously, you guys, the listeners, are a huge reason for that. So thank you guys so much and like for playing along with our like you know mini games and stuff and we'll obviously have a lot more of that stuff in the off season but I appreciate you guys you know give us a chance and it looks like it paid off and our numbers have been awesome and so we really 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 appreciate you guys from bottoms of our heart so yeah man well said very very well said if you have not go subscribe to our newsletter as well saturday.football go subscribe to college football uncensored and saturday lives forever wherever you get your podcast join the facebook group we're still going to be doing a ton of different stuff during the off season with the facebook group we want to be able to to get your feedback with figuring it out or gold and brash thanks guys talk soon